ketones. In the last lesson, we talked about how we make ketones. In this lesson, we're talking about how we burn ketones for energy. Ketogenic diet has neurological benefits. Why do we have to eat such an enormous amount of food? I'm Dr. Chris Masterjohn of chrismasterjohnphd.com, and you're watching Masterclass with Masterjohn. We are now in our 33rd in a series of lessons on the system of energy metabolism, and today we're talking about how we burn ketones for energy. You can see on the screen that the process of beta oxidation consumes coenzyme A. Shown here, coenzyme A is joining to a fatty acid to make a fatty acyl CoA. Not shown here is that every time you chop off an acetyl unit to make an acetyl-CoA, you're using another coenzyme A molecule. So the process of beta-oxidation consumes a lot of coenzyme A, and during ketogenic conditions, adipose fatty acids are all going to the liver for it to be the organ that's coordinating energy metabolism for the rest of the body, by, for example, turning those fatty acids into ketones. It's also handling a huge load of gluconeogenic precursors to make glucose for the rest of the body during the same kind of conditions. So the liver needs energy metabolism to be running very robustly now, and this demand for coenzyme A is going to rapidly deplete the coenzyme A pool if you don't have a way of freeing it up. So when acetyl-CoA can't enter the citric acid cycle because there's insufficient oxaloacetate, diverting it into ketogenesis not only assists the rest of the body that gets the ketone bodies, but even right here, right now, it's helping beta-oxidation to continue at the rate the liver needs to continue it because you can see that acetyl-CoA is joined to coenzyme A Acetoacetate is not. Once you go through the process of ketogenesis, you free the coenzyme A so that it can go back up and continue to participate in beta-oxidation. So ketogenesis is a means of allowing beta-oxidation to continue at a high rate when it's needed. Once you make acetoacetate, a lot of it, not all of it, but a lot of it is converted to beta-hydroxybutyrate. And acetoacetate when it is converted to beta-hydroxybutyrate, consumes electrons from NADH, generating NAD+. Now, the energy status of hepatic mitochondria will dictate how much acetoacetate you get versus how much beta-hydroxybutyrate you get. If you have more NADH and less NAD+, you're going to get more beta-hydroxybutyrate. If you have less NADH and more NAD+, you're going to go in the opposite direction and you're going to get more acetoacetate. But by definition, when the liver is engaging in ketogenesis, the liver has a very high energy status because the fatty acids being burned for fuel are providing that energy. 
And beta oxidation itself consumes NAD plus and generates NADH. At this time, you also have some NADH being produced in the citric acid cycle, but you have a lot of NADH produced just in beta oxidation. Now, remember, we said before in the last lesson that the conversion of acetoacetate to beta-hydroxybutyrate is very analogous to the conversion of pyruvate to lactate. And remember from lesson 15 that the purpose of converting pyruvate to lactate is to free up the NAD plus that is needed to keep glycolysis running. Well, in the liver, the conversion of acetoacetate to beta-hydroxybutyrate frees up the NAD plus that is needed to keep beta-oxidation going. So while simply making acetoacetate frees up the CoA to assist in beta-oxidation, taking the acetoacetate and converting it into beta-hydroxybutyrate frees up the NAD plus that's needed for beta-oxidation to continue. Together, these two aspects of ketogenesis allow beta-oxidation to continue at a very high rate in the liver. Once we have acetoacetate and beta-hydroxybutyrate, we need to get them out of the liver and we get, need to get them to the tissues that use them. In the diagram on the screen, this all starts at the bottom. We have some beta-hydroxybutyrate, we have some acetoacetate. The first thing they need to do is get out of the hepatic mitochondrion. MCT1, monocarboxylate transporter 1, is the main transporter of ketone bodies across all membranes. Now, a monocarboxylate or a monocarboxylic acid is an acid that has one carboxyl group. MCT1 is generally transporting small monocarboxylate ions, meaning the monocarboxylic acid in its ionized form. These include pyruvate and lactate, but they also include beta-hydroxybutyrate and acetoacetate. Now, some of these molecules, and this would apply to lactate and pyruvate as well, some of the ketone bodies are able to slip across the membrane because they're small. And small things transport across membranes relatively easily. However, because of their acidic nature, they're strongly attracted to the water on either side of the membrane, and they're not able to cross the membrane at sufficient rates to get you all of the ketone metabolism that you need under strongly ketogenic conditions. So when you have a high need to utilize ketone bodies for fuel, MCT1 becomes very important in speeding the ability, speeding the rate at which those ketone bodies cross the membranes. Now I've depicted the membrane here as just a single layer. MCT1 is going to be in the inner mitochondrial membrane. I haven't found any definitive, definitive evidence about how they cross the outer membrane of the mitochondrion, but my suspicion is that they cross the outer membrane through the voltage-dependent anion channel, or VDAC, just like most other substrates do. So they get into the hepatic cytosol, they use MCT1 again to leave the cell into the extracellular fluid, the extracellular fluid is continuous with the blood. The blood circulates through many tissues. It's continuous with the extracellular fluid surrounding the cells within the tissues that utilize ketone bodies. And then they get in through MCT1 and they get into the mitochondrion through MCT1 and possibly VDAC as well. 
And once they're in the mitochondrion, that's where they can be burned for fuel. Now, beta-hydroxybutyrate cannot be directly burned for fuel. It has to be converted to acetoacetate first, and it's acetoacetate that undergoes metabolism for energy. But in the ketone-utilizing tissue, this tissue is relatively starved for energy. Because remember, during ketogenic conditions, all the energy is being directed towards the liver so that it can make glucose for other tissues and it can make ketone bodies for other tissues. So in the ketone-utilizing tissue, we're going to have a lot of NAD+, which is the exact opposite of the situation in the liver. The high amount of NAD plus is going to favor conversion of beta-hydroxybutyrate to acetoacetate, and that's going to favor their metabolism for energy. Remember, NADH is a source of energy. More specifically, the electrons that NADH is carrying are sources of energy, and they could be used by the electron transport chain to generate ATP. If in the liver we are turning acetoacetate to beta-hydroxybutyrate using NADH, then that energy, which came from beta-oxidation, is energy that's not going to the electron transport chain in the liver, and instead is being held in the beta-hydroxybutyrate molecule. As the beta-hydroxybutyrate molecule leaves the liver and goes to the ketone-utilizing tissue and is converted back to acetoacetate, its conversion back to acetoacetate generates NADH. That NADH is generated by electrons that came from beta-oxidation in the liver. So in the beta-hydroxybutyrate molecule, you have carried one NADH worth of energy from the liver to the ketone-utilizing tissue. In the ketone-utilizing tissue, before it even uses the acetoacetate molecule, it now gets that NADH worth of energy that can go into the electron transport chain to allow the conversion of ADP to ATP. So we could see beta-hydroxybutyrate as a way of carrying extra energy that came from beta-oxidation beyond what's carried in the acetoacetate molecule. Conversion of beta-hydroxybutyrate to acetoacetate, just like the opposite conversion in the liver, is catalyzed by beta-hydroxybutyrate dehydrogenase. This is one of three enzymes that are important for ketone utilization. The second enzyme is what allows acetoacetate to undergo further energy metabolism, and it's called succinyl-CoA-3-oxoacid-CoA transferase, which is quite a mouthful, and we can just call it SCOT. The purpose of SCOT is to take succinyl-CoA, and take its coenzyme A and donate it to acetoacetate to make acetoacetyl-CoA. These reactions are reversible. However, acetyl-CoA, under these conditions, is going to be very quickly burned for energy, and so that is going to net favor acetoacetate being converted to acetoacetyl-CoA. Once you have acetoacetyl-CoA, Beta-ketothiolase, which was also used in the production of ketones, is going to take coenzyme A and break it apart into two acetyl-CoA. Those acetyl-CoA are going to be burned for energy in the citric acid cycle, just like any other acetyl-CoA would.
Now remember, succinyl-CoA is a metabolite of the citric acid cycle. That means the enzyme Scott needs to essentially borrow succinyl-CoA from the citric acid cycle in those tissues, take its CoA, and return the succinate back to the citric acid cycle. In doing so, that means that to utilize acetoacetate, we've lost the opportunity to generate the one ATP from substrate level phosphorylation in the citric acid cycle. Because remember, this portion of the citric acid cycle has alpha-ketoglutarate being decarboxylated, CoA comes in and produces succinyl-CoA. That CoA is holding energy in the thioester bond that was released during the decarboxylation of alpha-ketoglutarate, and it's holding on to it to allow it to be efficiently captured in the form of ATP in the succeeding steps. Once you have succinyl-CoA, the CoA is traded for phosphate. That phosphate is now holding on to that energy until ADP swoops in, takes the phosphate with the energy, and becomes ATP, generating succinate. Succinate is then metabolized to fumarate, and the cycle continues. If you're utilizing ketones for energy, you're taking succinyl-CoA out of the citric acid cycle, and acetoacetate is coming in and taking the CoA. As the CoA is taken away, that immediately produces succinate that returns to the citric acid cycle, so you skip the entire substrate-level phosphorylation step. Now, notice that in the first step of ketone utilization, or the first step of acetoacetate utilization catalyzed by Scott, we need a high-energy thioester bond that's already present to metabolize acetoacetate to acetoacetyl-CoA. In the next step, the last step of ketone utilization, we don't need a high-energy thioester bond to come in. We have a free coenzyme A molecule coming in. The reason is that in the last step, we take advantage of the fact that we're splitting the molecule apart. When we split that molecule in half, the internal bonds of the molecule are what provide the energy to form the thioester bond with coenzyme A. When we have acetoacetate, we're joining coenzyme A to the end of the molecule, to one side of the molecule, to make acetoacetyl-CoA. We're not breaking anything apart yet, so we need to get the energy somewhere to be able to form that high-energy thioester bond. Despite the fact that we do lose the opportunity to synthesize one ATP in the citric acid cycle when we're utilizing ketones for energy, the vast majority of the energy from the liver is efficiently transferred to the other tissues during ketogenesis. So let's consider some very simple calculations. Keep in mind that the ATP yield of these molecules are estimated averages, and how much energy you get out of any given reaction is always dependent on the relative concentrations of the reactants and products. Nevertheless, these simple calculations allow useful comparisons. So on average, we're going to get 2.5 ATP out of every NADH, and we're going to get 1.5 out of every FADH2. As we know from substrate-level phosphorylation, succinyl-CoA is going to generate 1 ATP. So if we consider the full metabolism of an acetyl-CoA molecule in the citric acid cycle, we're going to produce 3 NADH, which is 7.5 ATP altogether, 
one FADH2, which raises that from 7.5 to 9, and one substrate-level phosphorylation from succinyl-CoA, which raises that to 10. If we had two acetyl-CoA entering the citric acid cycle, we would get 20. It takes two acetyl-CoA to make an acetoacetate molecule. Now remember, mechanistically, we're joining three acetyl-CoA together and then we're cleaving one off. But in the acetoacetate molecule, we have two acetyl groups joined together that each would have had the potential to enter the citric acid cycle as acetyl-CoA in the liver and didn't. And so the acetoacetate molecule has what could have generated 20 ATP in the liver. Instead, it's generating 19 in the ketone-utilizing tissue because it's generating two acetyl-CoA, but to get one of those coenzyme A molecules attached, we needed to take succinyl-CoA and divert it away from producing one of the ATP molecules in the citric acid cycle in the substrate-level phosphorylation step. So we are getting 20, but we're losing one, and that's a net ATP yield of 19. Beta-hydroxybutyrate carries the energy of one NADH in addition to the energy in the acetoacetate molecule so that goes from 19 up to 21.5. This shows that we're overwhelmingly transferring most of the energy from the liver to the ketone-utilizing tissue without losing very much of it. The data on the screen show the relative expression of the two enzymes besides beta-hydroxybutyrate dehydrogenase that are involved in ketone utilization in different tissues. These are taken from humans, and these are subjects who died of diseases that were not related in any way to ketone metabolism and evaluated at autopsy. You can note several things. First of all, the scale of Scott goes from zero to one, but beta-ketothiolase goes from zero to 15. That means that Scott is generally gonna be the limiting factor for ketone utilization because it's expressed at a lower degree than beta-ketothiolase. Number two, the liver produces beta-ketothiolase but doesn't produce any SCOT. Remember, beta-ketothiolase is used both in ketone production and ketone utilization. The expression of that enzyme in the liver reflects the fact that the liver makes ketones. The fact that SCOT is not expressed in the liver reflects the fact that the liver cannot utilize ketones for energy. That together reflects that the liver is making ketones for use by other tissues in the body. The next thing we can observe is that SCOT is expressed by a large degree to the highest degree in heart tissue. Although the heart is expressing far more SCOT per unit of protein within the heart, the heart is a pretty small muscle compared to all of your skeletal muscle mass combined. And although SCOT is expressed to a lower degree in skeletal muscle than in heart, because you have so much skeletal muscle, skeletal muscle will rival heart as a utilizer of ketone bodies. Now, although the brain is 
not standing out here in the amount of Scott or beta ketothiolase that it has, the brain is the most important consumer of ketone bodies. As we'll see in the next lesson, over the course of time during fasting, the brain becomes the overwhelming consumer of ketone bodies. And in fact, as I'll argue in the next lesson, and as the conventional viewpoint would argue, the purpose of ketogenesis is ultimately to feed the brain. So the brain stands out in its physiological importance. The last thing that we'll note here is that every single tissue that was measured, besides the liver, shows the ability to utilize ketones by having both of these enzymes. So we may not focus on them because they're not important in terms of the quantity of ketones they consume or in terms of the overwhelming physiological emphasis of why we're making the ketones, it's still the case that most tissues, perhaps every tissue except the liver, has some ability to utilize ketones for energy. Overall, what we're seeing is that the liver is making ketones from fatty acids that were derived from adipose tissue. And those ketones are going out to all the other tissues in the body, but chief among them are heart and skeletal muscle because of the amount of ketones that they'll consume, particularly in the very early stages of fasting or a ketogenic diet, and the brain, which, although it's a relatively small tissue, and even its expression of ketone-utilizing enzymes isn't terribly high, the brain, as we'll see, is by far and away the most important consumer of ketones in the body. What we can say biochemically here is that, number one, this is a way that the liver enables adipose tissue to feed the rest of the body. And number two, the ketones are best viewed as small, water-soluble ways of transporting acetyl groups that came from those fatty acids. And beta-hydroxybutyrate specifically is also carrying additional energy beyond what is in those acetyl groups that came from NADH produced during beta-oxidation in hepatic mitochondria. The audio of this lesson was generously enhanced and post-processed by Bob Devodian of Torian Mixing, giving you strong sound and dependable quality. You can find more of his work at torianonlinemixing.com. To continue watching these lessons, you can find them on my YouTube channel at youtube.com slash chrismasterjohn, or on my Facebook page at facebook.com slash chrismasterjohn, or you can sign up for NWM Pro to get early access to content, enhanced keyword searching, self-pacing tools, downloadable audio and transcripts, a rich array of hyperlinked further reading suggestions, and a community with a forum for each lesson. So if you really want to own these lessons, study them, and get the most out of them, you can sign up for NWM Pro at chrismasterjohnphd.com pro. All right, I hope you found this useful. Signing off, this is Chris Masterjohn of chrismasterjohnphd.com. You've been watching Masterclass with Masterjohn, and I will see you in the next lesson.